0: That loves Jesus, y'all get up really early, right? So again, it's my pleasure to be here with you all this morning. Um, Bring you greetings from Washington D.C. We have any Redskins fans in the house? Oh wow, that did that that did not go well. Um, Okay, Panthers fans maybe? Okay, all right. Well, sorry. Yeah, dig really well last year but this year i don't i don't know what happened uh well again i just uh want to say thank you so much and just i certainly i want to honor god for just this privilege to be able to be here uh to share with you all and uh this is an amazing church Uh, i always joke with pastor scott that he planted a church before church planning was cool and uh and really his friendship has meant a tremendous amount to myself and my wife and uh and I certainly just honor him, and really just a privilege uh, for me to be here uh, to be here at this church uh, certainly also I uh, want to acknowledge my wife and our after she'll be here at next service and uh, we've uh, got four and a half kids. I think we might have a picture of uh of the kids someplace that's them and uh and it's kind of funny when you see the picture it it i mean they're- you know Especially for some of you who are parents, you know, kind of their their personalities shine through pictures. So, uh, so there is uh, Sawyer at the top. He's just, you know, he's just kind of here. He's like a daddy. No, I won't smile. And uh, and then there's Silas, who's on uh, Mommy's uh, shoulder. Shania, who's the princess of the house, and then Sawyer. Uh, he's a little chucky, but but he's cute. He's kind of a little bit of a terror, but he's really cute. And then we're expecting another boy. Uh, in about a month and so you all pray for us amen uh, another boy and uh and so we're really uh it, it's uh, you know it's it's just a crazy house and so we're uh it's just a joy to uh, uh to have the privilege lord just to, just to, just to raise uh those boys and that little princess and i also just want to honor um, i know pastor just talked a little bit about just you know for any of our folks here who served in the military any of our uh, armed services, or uh, we just, just want to honor you this weekend. This weekend is really to honor you. And so, again, we're so thankful. Let's give a hand clap for them. want to honor uh, their service. All right, we're going to get started. We're going to be in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and we're just going to look at three verses this morning. Hebrews, uh, the 12th chapter, we're going to look at verses one through three. Uh, before we do that, I just want to take just time, to just ask the Lord to honor our time. Uh, our father we love you we thank you so much for the privilege you give us to to gather as a church this morning and thank you uh, lord for this amazing church this outpost uh for the kingdom in raleigh and i just continue to pray lord just your favor and your blessing on this church i pray for every person who's here under the sound of my voice uh lord um you have them here because you want them to hear from you not from me and so i pray uh, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that you would speak very clearly to your people this morning. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say, "Amen, Amen." Um, I'm going to read verses uh, 12. Uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Then I'll give you a title, and I'll give you just a little bit of a kind of idea of where we're going to be this morning. So Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1 through 3. It says, "Therefore." Since we have such a great and a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God verse 3, it says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and give up. Uh, I titled this message this morning, Following Jesus When Following Jesus Seems Hard. Following Jesus When Following Jesus Seems Hard. Uh, one of the things that I want to share with you all this morning, uh, obviously you guys know that I live in the Northeast from Washington, D.C. I rejoice uh, when the seasons change, when we go from winter to spring. Anybody else rejoice when that kind of happens? Uh, a little bit over the cold, all right? And uh, one of the things that, that kind of rhythmically happens when, uh, you know, when we go from winter to spring is this kind of, this crazy thing happens in Washington, D.C. It's called Pollen. It's just it's just crazy. It's nuts. I mean, you'll come outside, and your car and your car is is kind of covered with this, kind of just green stuff. And uh, and and for me, that means kind of itchy eyes. That means sneezing. That means me making noises, uh, in the grocery store. And like little and like parents are kind of ushering their kids away from me. They're like like please move away from him. He doesn't sound like he's got too much longer, uh, to go. It's just it's just not pretty. Uh, but here's what typically happens, again, when, uh, uh, when allergy season starts is, is I, um, man, I love Zyrtec. And so here's what Zyrtec uh, allows me to do is I usually will kind of go into my local grocery store and I'll pick up some Zyrtec and Zyrtec, uh, does an amazing job of, of all of the symptoms that I have, like there's, there's medicine for the symptoms that I have. And so my sneezy nose, my runny eyes, uh, the, you know, my back of my throat kind of scratching, like when I take a Zyrtec, it addresses the symptoms that I have. And I thank God for that. And I was thinking a little bit this morning where uh what i love about the book of hebrews is the writer of the book of hebrews is is kind of acting a little bit kind of like a a a zyrtec i mean that's kind of the the illustration this morning where the congregation that uh he's writing to they have a variety of just kind of different symptoms they're uh they're a congregation which is young and it's vibrant uh, but if you, if you interacted with this congregation, one of the things that you would notice, if you just read through the first 11 chapters, like this is a chapter, I mean, this is a church which is uh, lacking maturity. And one of the things that uh, the writer of Hebrews writes is um, if, if this congregation uh, should be at a different place um, than where they are. And so you know, one of the things that he might say if he was kind of talking in modern terms is that you guys have been in church long enough where some of you all should be teachers. Uh, but, but what the writer of Hebrews reminds them, he says that I, you know, some of you guys should be teachers, but here's what I have to do. He says in chapter five is that I have to lay on again the, 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 the elementary principles of the faith. I've got I've to start over again. You should be in the 12th grade, but you're in the first grade. And and he begins to describe just kind of the situation in the Hebrew church. And and part of the reason that they are experiencing what they experience is because um, they're experiencing persecution. Uh, They are experiencing this enormous weight and pressure to conform to the culture around them. If you know a little bit about the book of Hebrews, is, is that the folks that the writer is writing to that these are people that uh, were Jews, became Christians, and so as Christians, they're just experiencing some of the—they're um, just experiencing challenges in terms of their faith, and, and some of them, the persecution has gotten so difficult that they consider uh, going back. They consider renouncing their faith in Jesus, if that was possible. Um, and, and saying that, that my life was easier before I met Christ. And so uh, I, I love this particular book because this book addresses some of the things that we perhaps deal with even in our culture. That And if you've walked with Jesus for any portion of time, whether that's been one week or that's been for 30 or 40 years, then here's what you know, that there are certain seasons and times in your life when following Jesus seems hard. And and I just want to be really practical and really encouraging this morning. Here's what I believe the writer of Hebrews has desired to do in these three verses, is to give us some keys to following Jesus when we find ourselves in those places, and here 's what I want to say this morning, perhaps there's, there's some folks here that, that, as you look at your life with jesus there 's no challenges there 's no difficulties there 's no ups and downs uh, then what I would probably say to you is just keep living amen but but for but for ninety nine point nine percent of us, when we became a follower of Jesus, that meant that we and begin to engage in this process called sanctification, where God saved us, redeemed us, sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, began to change us in the way that we looked at our life and our world and our relationships. But, but what we learn is that that is a long and sometimes challenging process. So here's, here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to give you some keys. We're just going to walk through these verses, and I promise I'll have you out by 2.30. <laughs> but here's what we'll do. Um, is is some of these, I'll I'll go into greater depth, but then some of these, the applications will be kind of crystal clear right here in uh, some of the points that I make. So here's what we'll start here in verse one. It says, therefore, we have been surrounded by a large cloud of witnesses. Here's my first key for you all this morning is that we need to remember that what you experience is not unique. In a short way, it just—it it would just be this reminder, here's a, here's a key, is that you're not alone. And what you experience, what keeps you up at night, what causes you at times to question God's provision and his plan for you. And I love here in this particular verse, this the first word of this chapter says, therefore. Here's a little Bible study 101. Whenever we see therefore, we need to ask the question, why is the therefore there? Amen. And, and here's what the writer saw, seeks to do in this particular verse. He, he points back what he's um, kind of given us breath of is all of the people in chapter 11, which often are described as the hall of fame of faith. Now, these are folks all throughout chapter 11 who trusted God in the midst of really, really difficult circumstances. And there are a lot of them in your Bible. You've got Abraham. You've got Sarah. You've got Noah. You've got Abel. You've got Barack, not Obama, but Barack. You've got Gideon. And all throughout these stories, if, if you would read throughout these stories, here's, here's what you find in uh, these stories. This, this common theme is that all of these people had to trust God in spite of difficult circumstances. In chapter 11, verse 6, it says that faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It says, without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. And so for all of us in here, uh, faith is not wishful thinking. It's the substance of things hoped for. So for all of us in here, we're all in a journey of faith, journey of trust and belief and confidence. And, And here's the reminder that the Writer wants to give us is is that you're not alone. I love the, the imagery here. It says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So here's what I want that to single to all of us this morning. As you read through these stories, perhaps this week, you read about perhaps Abraham and Sarah that had to wait 25 years before God fulfilled the promise to them. Here's the encouragement that I want to have for you this morning. It says that if I was just going to imagine myself, I was just kind of standing on this stage this morning and uh and and 15 people surrounded me and they held their hands and they were just kind of surrounding me then then i'm typically going to be in one or two places i'm either going to be really afraid right they're angry let's just say you know i'm a cowboys fan and you know they're dallas fans just i mean they're redskins fans just surrounded. i'm going to be potentially afraid or i'm going to be encouraged if if there was a group of folks who loved me and cared for me and knew my story and knew my issues and loved me anyway. And that's what the writer of Hebrews wants to communicate. He says that, that, that for you as followers of Jesus, here's what I don't want you to be mistaken of, is that you are surrounded by a cloud of people who have run the race of faith, and who have finished. And and here's what God wants to do in your life. He wants their stories to encourage you. Amen? And I love this picture and this imagery of surrounding because it means on every side, every way that you turn, there's a story of, of God faithfully fulfilling his promises when circumstance look deep if you turned on this side then perhaps you read the story of abel and him giving god a better sacrifice perhaps for some of you you would turn and you would interact with the story of sarah and abraham and perhaps you've been waiting for a long period of time for god to fulfill a promise to you is that again first is that a key to serving and loving jesus when life gets hard is that first you must remember that you're not alone here's number two he says, first, you must remember that you're not alone. Here's number two. It says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And then it says, let us lay aside every hindrance. Let us lay aside every hindrance. Here's what we have to believe at this particular point, is that we've got to live lives with godly wisdom. He says that we have to lay aside every hindrance. Th- this word is also translated as weight. So imagine that you and I woke up, Set, you know, Sunday morning. Some of you all did it in here just because you love Jesus and you wake up. You woke up this morning and at six o'clock you got your jogging shoes on, you got everything on that was appropriate, and and you went jogging. And here's sometimes the challenge again, I got to admit to you all, here's my big challenge with jogging and running is when it starts. Just like when it starts. I mean, that, that's just it. It's like the, the place of just, you know, when you get to a certain point, you have to kind of tell yourself, here we go. Like, we're going to start jogging. So, like, that's, that's just the challenge for me. But, but here's, what, here's what we see here in this particular verse. It says, let us lay aside every hindrance. So, one of my big hindrances, if I was just kind of talking to you guys, I'm just being honest, there were just a few folks in here, I would kind of pull you guys close. And I said, one of my big challenges with running just my physical race is Reese's Cups. Like I found that when I go to the gym and I get on the treadmill, um, and I've had six Reese's cups before I get on, it, it feels—it's—it's it's a weight. Like I, I'm not as efficient and as effective as I can be because I've—I've I've not used wisdom. And here's, here's, here's what you'll find all throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs, especially if we got any college students or high school students or, or young teens or pre-teens. Here's what I encourage my young teens and my preteens, and my college students to read is, is get really acquainted with the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is about wisdom. And Jesus is the personification of wisdom. But, but, but here's, for some of us, the challenge with us living a life in the midst of difficulty, is that we have not sought or lived with wisdom. It says that we need to lay aside in our life what is unprofitable, what just isn't doesn't benefit you. For some of us, again, that might be just as simple as some of the relationships that we're connected in. There are some people that when you get around, man, um, I mean, you are encouraged in your walk with Jesus. Like, you get around them, like, they, they see things in you. They see what God is doing you, how God is shaping you and preparing you. And then there's some relationships, when you're in those relationships, you, you feel less encouraged in your walk with Jesus. Some of us, maybe as men, again, here's a challenge that I have, is, is maybe just getting enough sleep at night. And so what, what kind of affects your devotional life, and really you being able to get up 20, 30 minutes early, is, is kind of that next kind of binge-watching section session on Netflix. For all of us, like there, there are things in our life, as we begin to kind of pray and process, like what are the things in the areas in your life? You say, "Look, this isn't an area of sin. This is just an area where, where I am not as efficient as I would desire to be for the Lord because I've got this, this weight in my life. So again, for all of us, that's a question. It says, again, for maybe perhaps for some of us, it's, you know, it's, it's sleep, it's friends, it's the way that we spend our money. I always like to define this as time, treasure and talents. As is, is we begin to look at areas of profitability, as we begin to, to desire to live our life, here's how I like to describe wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to live life from God's perspective. T- to see the world in the way that God sees it. That is wisdom. Jesus is the personification of wisdom. So if you read in the book of Proverbs where Solomon encourages his son to get wisdom, we as New Testament believers should be absolutely confident That that the embodiment of that is if you have Jesus, you have wisdom. The question there is if we have him, are we following him? Our our life and our steps and our rhythms, are we submitted to his lordship? Number two is that we've got to live lives of godly wisdom. Here's number three. He said, let us lay aside every hindrance. And he also says, and the sin that so easily ensnares us. It says, and the sin that so easily ensnares us. I love here, I think when you begin to think a little bit about this particular verse, he says again, um, here's my point for this particular section, is that we've got to resist and run from sin. If, if we would understand that here's how the New Testament often re- describes describe sin, is that, that sin um, is uh, ultimately what has jesus comes in the world to redeem us uh, from sin from the curse of the law but but sin is also a a a breaker of fellowship um sin uh in our life again and here's how i might describe sin i have to do this in washington dc especially is to say uh, to miss the mark that that god's standard is perfection holiness and i know in the culture in which we live um you know, they're are often just a variety of ways in which people kind of interact with just this notion of sin. But but he, but here's here's the reason that I believe in the biblical view of sin. Is because I, re- I believe in the biblical view of sin because I believe that God is holy, that God is just, that God is right. And, and and here's here's what I want us all to be crystal clear on: if 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 God is not holy, if God is not just, if God is not perfect, if God Uh, Does not desire to have relationship with with man and woman, then 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 there's no reason for God to send Jesus to redeem you and I who are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Again, in some of our lives, again as we kind of think of like, man, what are some keys to to living a life for Jesus when a life for Jesus seems hard? Is is perhaps for some of us in here, it, it means what are the normal patterns and rhythms of your life in which you are resisting sin, in which you're confessing sin. Perhaps you're part of a life group or community group or missional community here where, where you've got a, a group of people who know you, who know your issues, know your junk, and, and just part of your sanctification process, part of the process of, of God growing you and developing you, is you having some relationships in your life where you can be 100% honest and transparent. I love Galatians 5, uh, verse 22, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these there's no law. But what you also see in, in the book of Galatians is this reminder that, that the works of the flesh are evident. And so I often, and just in my accountable times and, and relationships with people that I have, I mean, we'll kind of look through that particular list. And I'll, and I'll ask, in, in my life, am I evidencing the fruits of the Spirit? And if I'm not, here's, here's what I hope to do in, in, in kind of honest, transparent relationship with God and also honest, transparent relationship with others is that I would confess those sins to God and to each other. Here's what I want you to know. If this is your first time here, it is that the church it is a collection, a group of repentant sinners. I love every time when we're in D.C. and we kind of take communion, we celebrate communion together and perhaps um, there are always people in our congregation that are not yet followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we often say before we do that is um, we we kind of self-identify ourselves as uh, the folks that are going to partake in communion, that, that we're identifying that we're broken, sinful, and we need a Savior. Amen? That's the, that's the good news of the gospel is, is that I don't have to, do it on my own, that Jesus did what I could not do, that Jesus uh, fulfilled God's righteous requirement, that He lived the perfect life that I cannot live, and that when I look to Him in repentance and faith and trust on the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God saves me and redeems me. But for me to maintain fellowship with God, again, perhaps as you're seeking to run your race, you're like, man, there's something missing. Is there an area of your life in which you have unconfessed sin where you've not been 100% honest with God? That, God, I, I need to get this area right with you. Here's what I want all of us to do, to commit to do, is that we need to learn what pleases God and to seek to submit all of those areas under the lordship of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, here's number four. It says that we need to lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. The reason, again, I didn't say this, but the reason that the sin so easily ensnares us is because James one fourteen says that we're all drawn away and enticed by our own desires. And so, so your, your sin issue is you. It's what you like to do. Write that down. You guys can look at that a little bit later this week, James one fourteen. And it says, let us run with, en-. and it also says, let us run with endurance. It says the race that lies before us. Here's here's number four, is that we have to realize is that spiritual maturity is a process. So we've got to realize that we've got to come to this conclusion that spiritual maturity is a process. We've got a guy in our church, uh, and, and he is a, uh, he's a runner, I mean, like, I mean, like a real runner. So when I look on Facebook in the morning, he has this thing, which is kind of annoying, I thought about blocking him, um, where it just, it kind of shows how efficient he's been before nine o'clock. So it kind of shows that he woke up and he ran seven or eight miles and uh, it, you know, it's just one of those people that just annoys you. Like you just, even if you don't block him, you just unfollow him. So I, I just, I don't want to see that. I'm, I'm, I'm too convicted by that. So he just does that. And actually, even funny. Yesterday, he's in Pennsylvania, and he even he ran on vacation. Like that guy's not normal, right? So he, so he ran on vacation. So, so I, uh, when I was working on this message, I sent him a question. I said, uh, "Ralph, can you tell me how, as a runner, to to build endurance?" Listen, I wasn't really interested, like, but it was just for the illustration. I think I was eating fries at the time. Like, I was eating fries, and I was on my couch. So it was completely inauthentic. Um, but but I wanted to engage him and just say, like, so tell me how I build endurance. And so he gets really excited. And he's like, hey, man, I can put you on a great plan, a great eating plan. I'm like, no thanks. Um, and, and he's, you know, he's like, well, he, here's how you typically build endurance is you kind of start off you know, you start off running a half mile, and then after that, you run a mile, and then you kind of go back, and you time yourself, and and then after that, you like pick a mountain to run up, and just to make it harder. And he just, again, kind of communicated like this, just kind of the, the way to build endurance. And, and I thought, again, just as I was kind of thinking a little bit about this message, I mean, that that's um, that's what the spiritual life is like when God saves you. Uh, You ever kind of been that Christian, like a new Christian, you just become a follower of Jesus, and you're like, I'm going to read the entire Bible in a week. You just get really excited, and you get to Leviticus, and you're like, I think I'm done. And, and again, it's, it's this youthful it's this zeal where God saves you. And you want to learn a whole lot about him, and, and you, want, you want to see kind of your life conformed and shaped by, by Jesus and, and spiritual disciplines and all these other types of things. And, and here's, I, I think, a lot of times, especially you have kind of older Christians, people that have been Christians for 30 or 40 years, and you just kind of look at that Christian and you'll say, oh, "He's okay, wait till he gets Leviticus. And not that Leviticus isn't, isn't a great book, but, but here's what the, the mature Christian understands is that the, the spiritual journey is a process. Man, it, it's a series of starts and stops. It's a series of, of victories and setbacks. Man, it, it's, it's, a, um, man, it it's, a, it's a journey of at times, and, and I think we could all agree, that, that some of the times in which you grew closest to Jesus were the times in which you experienced the most brokenness in your life. Like the loss of a child, a miscarriage, uh, the the death, or or the kind of the ending of a really traumatic relationship, and in and, and, and those particular moments of your life, you were just like, you know, I mean, because of the brokenness, you, you cried out to God and said, God, man, man, I'm all yours. Like, will you will you change me? Will you shape me? Um, or perhaps in that situation that you, that you kind of got out of that situation. Maybe you got out of that bad relationship after two years and you look back and you're able to thank God that you are now where you weren't at that particular point. So it's just, again, it's just this reminder. that, that Because I believe that, that the believers that the writer of Hebrews is writing to is, is that their challenge, I think that the challenge in which I think they experience is, is because they're living in a culture that doesn't understand their rhythms and their commitments. And so, and so the pressure uh, to conform, the pressure to, to take the Jesus that has been preached to them as, as the one and only son of God, the, the one in which we should live for and submit our lives to, that, that here's what the culture is seeking to do in their life is to, is to, is to make Jesus kind of normal. Just make him a prophet, a good religious person. And, and, and so the writer of Hebrews says, no, what I taught you, like, keep Jesus at a place of preeminence where he's, where he's worthy of all honor, praise, and glory, and submission. And, and, and he says, don't, don't allow the culture to, to reorient you. So, again, we've got to embrace Spiritual maturity is a process. We've got to get connected. If you're a mature Christian, you've got to get connected with an immature Christian. If you're an immature Christian, you've got to get connected with a mature Christian. Here's number five. It says that we've got to run with endurance, the race that lies before us. Here's, again, just the most simple thing. It says keeping our eyes on Jesus. And here's what Jesus has done. It says the source and perfecter of our faith. That's so huge right there because here's, here's what We've got to understand about this particular verse. It says that Jesus is the source and perfecter of our faith. So that, that, what does that mean? That means that, that all of the faith that we have, the, the faith that we're able to, um, to find rooted in the personal work of Christ, that Jesus sustains by his power. Is that you have no ability to believe the gospel unless God first enacts upon your heart? That none of us in here choose God? That the scriptures remind us that you and I are born in sin and shaped in iniquity? Is that for you to see any beauty? in the gospel. It wasn't because your grandparents brought you to church, though we are thankful for that. It's because God first worked upon your heart and removed the scales from your eyes to allow you to see the beauty of Jesus and to desire to be saved. Amen. Here's the fifth point is that we've got to maintain our focus on Christ. We've got to maintain our focus on Christ. I'm landing the plane. And Here's one of just the kind of a quick example. Is is my son, I love to death. Sawyer, the one who's kind of scry- you know kind of uh, scowling in the in the picture. He he loves to run. But here's kind of the crazy thing about like, when my son runs. Like he loves to run while looking back at me while I'm chasing him. So he's like he's like running and he really kind of thinks that he's moving. I mean he just thinks he's a track star. And I'm like no, like I'm your dad. So that's not happening. So like he kind of runs facing backwards. And, and one of the things that I've just kind of noticed in, in, in that, just kind of that exchange, is, is he's not very efficient. I mean, he's, he's kind of running without a goal. Like his, his goal and just kind of the purpose of, of his joy is, is behind him, not in front of him. So for you and I to follow Jesus when following Jesus seems difficult as we've got to maintain our focus on Christ and I think for the new Christian, that, that's typically there. Like when you get saved, you realize that it's all about Jesus. It's all about knowing him and loving him and serving him and submitting to him. But here's what often happens over the course of our lives and our Christian journey is that we move from being centered on the person and work of Jesus to doing Christian stuff. Yeah, yeah, joining a group, and that's great. But if, if Jesus isn't the focus, then, then we've missed it. Perhaps in, in our marriage, and God's given us a wife, a spouse, a husband, and when we kind of started off, I mean, again, even at our our wedding, that there was there was a commitment to Jesus and who He did, and we said we wanted Jesus to be the center of our lives, and it's been months, perhaps years, since we've gotten away and prayed together. He says for you, to persevere, for you to endure, that you've got to have at the center of of every part of your life, that Jesus has to be the center. And so for some of us, we might say, well, that that just kind of seems odd that Jesus be the center of everything. But, But here's what I want to suggest to all of us. When you read the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians says that the world came into existence through the activity of the sun. So everything that we see, everything in this room, every person is sustained by the power of Jesus that every breath that you take at this particular moment is sustained by the power of Jesus. And so when you align your life and center your life on the person of Jesus, that's what's right about your world. That's what's true, what's lovely. And so when you look at your dating relationships, when you look at how you manage your money, when you look at the people that you hang out with at your high school Question I want to ask you, is Jesus the center, the focus, the the one in which you're seeking to please, to honor, or has Jesus moved from the center to just some other place? My desire for all of us in here is that we would be Christians, followers of Jesus in which Jesus is ultimately the sinner. I've got to move on. Here's number six. It says that we uh, this particular verse, it says that Jesus is the source and the perfect of our faith. And here's what it says. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of God. I love here where it says that that the motivation for Jesus to uh, for Jesus to accomplish all that he accomplished was the joy that was set before him. So in spite of, man, the shame, the torture, I mean, you just kind of read through the New Testament, all the things that Jesus experienced as a result of those who he created, I mean, that's kind of the odd thing, like the the folks that, that pierced his side, the folks, you know, when Pilate you know, condemns Jesus death, like, like he's sustaining them at that very place. It says that he endured all of that, that he despised the shame, that the shame of, of dying on a tree, which was cursed in Jewish culture, was not enough to have him remove himself for the cross. It says that he endured the cross, despising the shame. But but here's what allowed Jesus to do this. And here's why I think we just very honestly, like we've got to model our lives after Jesus is that we've got to anticipate the joy of following Jesus. That's number six, that we've got to anticipate the joy of following Jesus. That we've got to imagine ourselves at particular points in our life, in particular junctures and climax of our life, we've got to imagine what it's like for Jesus to be pleased with what we do and what we say. That neighbor that you live next to, that you, if you're really honest, you're like, man, that person is so far from Jesus. Like, I mean, they're just like other solar system, other planet. Like, like you've got to, in your interactions with them, you've got to anticipate the joy of that person becoming a follower of Jesus. Like, like you've got to look beyond the pain beyond the awkwardness, beyond maybe the conversation that you don't really know how you're entering into, and you've got to anticipate the joy of that experience. High school students do that all the time. Senior year, they got senioritis. Here's what you do. Like, you've got to go to classes, and you've got to do all your things. But here's what high schoolers typically do, if you're a high schooler in here, is that you anticipate the joy of walking across that stage. And, and final exams, though, they're difficult and they're challenging. Here's what you say is, I can't wait till I graduate and I go take more exams, all right? That's kind of the oddity. Here, here's the thing that my wife, my wife is like eight and a half. Like, she's like really pregnant. Like, she's so pregnant that she's like, I don't like you. Like, that type of pregnant. Like, you did this to me. Like, that's where she is. And the other night, my wife and I were in the bed together. She just was kind of dreaming to me. And again, it seems like, ah, but if you've ever been pregnant in here, you've been a, you know auntie or aunt. like she's, she looks forward to sleeping on her stomach. I'm like, what? But it's been so long since she slept on her stomach that like she just can't, she just like in her mind, she's like, I can't wait to sleep on my stomach. And, and some of what allows my wife to persevere at this particular point in her pregnancy is that she's anticipating a future joy. Christian, are you anticipating a future joy of your faithfully following Jesus? Does that consume your imagination? What God would do if I was obedient? What God would do if I trust him with my talents, my treasures, and my time? What, what God might rearrange in terms of my priorities if, if I said that I'll give myself fully to him? Here's number six, is that we've got to anticipate the joy of following Jesus. I'm almost done here's number seven and i love this in the bottom part of this verse it says said he endured the cross so endure at the cross he despised the shame so he didn't he didn't get off because he knew that the joy of, of fulfilling the righteous requirement of the father and, and and granting to all of us salvation who would believe in his name and trust him here's this reminder it says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of god one of my favorite verses is isaiah 41 uh, 10 Actually, 1 through, th- one through 10, that, really that entire chapter. But it talks about this, this image of Jesus being at the right hand. Here's what I, I believe that we have this. And here's the seventh point. It says, here's what we cannot do as we seek to run the race that God has put before us, is that we cannot forget God's power. Here's what I love in this particular verse. It says that Jesus, he sits down at the right hand of the Father. Here's what, what that is, is given to us for. The reason that that is given to us is so that we will have full assurance that Jesus is in control. So that he's at God's right hand, that he's on his throne, that he's interceding for us. And here's the question I have for all of us this morning. If Jesus is fully in control, fully in power, and how does that relate to the lives in which we live? That if Jesus is fully in control, fully in power, then I don't have to be anxious about my future. That if Jesus is fully in control and fully in power, then I don't have to, to to fret about where's my next paycheck going to come from. That if Jesus is fully in control and fully in power, then, then anything that happens to to me is, is on his divine radar. One of the ways that I love to illustrate this is if you were driving down the road, 95, and perhaps you're going a little bit faster than you should have been going, and you see a police car kind of, Nestled off to the, the side. What automatically takes place? When you see that police car, even though you shouldn't what, what happened? What takes place? Be honest. You, you put your foot on the brake, right? Because in that particular moment, what have you done is that you realize the source of power, to what, to do what? To give you a ticket. Like, like that, that particular encounter, it, 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 it pauses you and it reminds you, like, hold on, this person in this car has the ability to do something that actually causes some level of discomfort. Here's the question that I have is when we think about the power of Jesus and where he is at God's right hand, what does that cause in us? It should cause comfort, calm, peace exhilaration, anticipation, joyfulness. It says that we can't forget God's power. Here's the last one it says here in verse eight. Here's just kind of the conclusion in verse three. It says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and give up. He says that the, the entire reason that I've, that I've written this is because here's what I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt is that I want you to finish the race at peak efficiency. I want, you to, I want you to finish the race that God has pushed before you. Here's number eight, is that, that the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to live a life. I, I, here's what I wrote here. Wants us to live a concluded life. And what does that mean? This word here in the original language for consider, it means to examine closely. It, here's what the writer of Hebrews wants to do. He wants to, to examine closely the person and work of Jesus and not to live a life Seeking to determine is Jesus is who he says he is. He wants us to live a life with the confidence that Jesus is who the scriptures have said he is. He says for you to, for you to be all that God would desire for you to be. That you've got to live a life after careful examination of the person and work of Jesus. And, and often what he's done in your own heart and your life. That I want you to live a life in which you've concluded that Jesus is who he has said he is. I want you to be concluded. I want you to be confident. I don't want you to be wishy-washy. I don't want you to be on one side one day and on another side the other day. I want you to live a life which has made the rock-solid conclusion. That's why I believe. When you see in Hebrews 6, it says, For without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them who seek him diligently. For all of us in here, we all live a concluded life in some area of our life. One of the things you see, like you look on Instagram or Yelp, what, what typically uh, gets people to uh, put a review on Yelp? They've had a really, really good experience, right? Or they've had a bad experience, right? And so at the end of that, or you know, let's just say they have a really good experience, they typically get on Yelp. Some of my grandparents are like, what is Yelp? Okay, Yelp is, uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's kind of a place where you kind of give reviews on just a food or an experience that, you know. That you might have had, I, I just saw some eyes looking at me like, "What are you talking about, brother?" Um, but but here's the deal. And, and so, you know, after you've had a great meal, you typically will get on Yelp and Yelp, and you will communicate the joy of that experience as a result of what what you've had. And so, that is a, the same type of picture that the writer of Hebrews wants us to give. He says, "I want you to live a life which evidences the experience that you've had, the transformation that you've had in Christ." Amen. Here's the first eight. All right? That's it. I told you it's going to be ultra practical. Lord, we uh, we pray for us. Lord, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, I know that this might have been a whole lot to just ingest, but I just really wanted to Uh, To be an encouragement, Lord, to your body today. Because I think for all of us, especially for those who are followers of Jesus, like we know um, that we need instructions, practical instructions for how to live and to follow Jesus when life seems hard. And Lord, I just pray that this moment, that one of those kind of eight things that we listed was straight from your word, would encourage our hearts today. That for some of us, the disconnect in our lives is, um, man, we're, serving a guy that we don't believe is powerful, is able, that is, uh, that has the ability to change the circumstances of our life. And so that's what you want us this morning to repent of and to believe. For some of us this morning, or perhaps the area in which we struggle with is, is believing uh, Lord that you're enough. And, and Father, my prayer this morning is that perhaps there's some folks under the sound of my voice who have not made the conclusion, who have not uh, repented of their sins and turned to Jesus, and they've not concluded that Jesus is sufficient to wash all of their sins away, past, present, and future. And so, Father, my prayer this morning is if that there's somebody on the side of my voice who's not made a decision to trust Jesus, that the, the offer of forgiveness is available. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the offer. And so, Father, if there's some folks here in that particular position this morning, I pray that they would talk to a pastor, that they talk to a, a member at Southbridge Fellowship, and they would get right with you. But I also pray for the Christians in here who are growing, maturing. Lord, that throughout this week, throughout this month, throughout the rest of this year, that you will make yourself real to them. Lord, if there's an area of their lives which they're struggling, Lord, would you meet them? Lord, as we uh, seek in all of our lives, Lord, to, uh, to demonstrate that you're a God that's good and can be trusted. We praise you and we thank you for all that you are and for who you are. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.